The division series is underway with the Phillies and Padres looking to upend and upset the defending champion Braves and 111-win Dodgers respectively. Can the Mariners come back from a brutal defeat and can the Guardians score more than one run in the game? A heavyweight matchup in Kansas City as the Bills go back to where their season ended the last two years in the highlight game of Week 6 in the NFL. College football has a couple of huge matchups as four top 10 teams match up in Penn State versus Michigan and Alabama versus Tennessee on Saturday. Draymond Green is back from his little respite after a scuffle with Jordan Poole. Should he have been suspended by the team? Closing out the week with episode 300 as I deliver all that's going on in the wonderful world of sports. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to... Listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media, I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels Podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, and excellent spirits. The podcast has reached another milestone as you're about to listen to the 300th episode of this journey that started way back in March of 2018. So it goes without saying that I want to thank all of you Whether this is your first visit, been a regular for quite some time, or go all the way back to the very beginning, I'm truly blessed to be able to have this platform and grateful that you're on the other end listening. Don't ever think that this is taken granted from yours truly because I'd be remiss for not acknowledging this right off the bat. Otherwise, you know the vibes. Your source for all the source in the world of sports is right here as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. Quite a bit to get into as we head toward the weekend and toward the middle of the month. And everything that is going on in this toy department that we call sports. And before we even get to NFL, college football, even the NBA, we'll go through some over-under numbers as we get ready for an NBA preview on Monday. But the baseball is still front and center. I'm sorry, it's the postseason, it's the playoffs. And now that we're into the division series, and we can take a look back at yesterday and what could lie ahead today, especially for the American League. And I'll touch on them in a minute. But we have two series in the National League that could go long depending on how you look at it. I think the Phillies blew a big opportunity to go up to love yesterday with Zach Wheeler, arguably their best pitcher on the mound. 
And even though he pitched well for four innings, but it all fell apart. Bleeder here, hits there, and before you know it, it was 3-0, and that was the game because Kyle Wright, who could be the front runner to win the NL Cy Young Award, although people in South Florida will argue for Sandy Alcantara. But here was Kyle Wright, who won 21 games in a regular season, the only 20-game winner in baseball, as he continues to dominate, as he continues to plow through in what has been a remarkable season. And the Braves have now gotten the equalizer to get themselves to Philadelphia, both at 1-1, and we can look at the missed opportunity that you had by Philly yesterday to take a 2-0 series lead. This is on the heels of what happened there on Tuesday with the Phillies jumping out to a 7-1 lead against Max Freed. Slowly but surely, they chipped away, and then you had Matt Olson hit the three-run homer in the bottom of the ninth, and with Nick Castellanos making a great catch in the outfield off of William Contreras that could have actually put the tying run in scoring position, But Zach Eflin, who would scare me if I'm a Philadelphia Philly fan, knowing that this is going to be your guy that's going to close games, and I get it, it's probably going to be bullpen by committee here as far as they get into this postseason, but at least they got that first game winning 7-6, and then yesterday getting blanked 3-0 to where the series will shift to Philadelphia. You'll have Aaron Nola go in Game 3, and all I could say is this, if the Phillies have any shot to win this series, they must win Game 3. Generally, when it comes to the underdog teams in any postseason, doesn't matter if it's NBA, NHL, or even Major League Baseball, the team that is the prohibitive underdog, they always need to get the odd number games. That's not to say they can't win a series if they win the even number games, but my point is is that with the Phillies winning game one, and now with a shot for them to win game three in their ballpark with Aaron Nola, they have a better shot to win the series than them being down 2-1, having to win not only a game four, but then again, that odd number game again back in Atlanta in order for them to get to the NLCS. So this is going to be a tall order. I think if the Phillies were to lose here on Saturday, does that mean Ranger Suarez, who pitched game one on Tuesday, go on three days rest? Suarez, as you saw in that game, did not pitch well. And he would scare me to know that in an elimination game, if the Phillies are down two games to one, that you have to go to him to save your season. Who the Phillies are going to come up with? I guess you're going to see Kyle Gibson pitching that game four, whether they're up 2-1 or down 2-1. But we'll see as tomorrow the scene will shift to Philadelphia for game number three. As far as the other National League series goes, the Dodgers were able to come out of the gate quick. Five runs as they put it on Padres starter Mike Clevenger. Although the Padres started to chip away during the middle part of the game, but the Dodgers hung on to win 5-3. And maybe that was a sign for San Diego, knowing that the Dodgers came out like Lions, and then the Padres got their offense going a little bit to the point where, all right, they made the final score respectable. Nobody thought that even after a 5-0 lead that the Padres were going to come back to even come close to whether it be drawing even or even taking the lead. But with last night, Manny Machado taking Clayton Kershaw in the first inning over the wall, even though Freddie Freeman answered that with a home run himself, But the Padres were able to get some big hits, timely hits. Clayton Kershaw, for whatever the reason, in October. Now, he's had his moments in the postseason. That's not to say he's been awful. But for them to take a 2-0 series lead in which the Dodgers have beaten up the Padres, not only just this year, not only just last year, even going back to the pandemic season when they swept the Padres in the division series down in Globe Life Field in Texas, the Dodgers were unable to come back and not only themselves take a 2-0 series lead, similar to what Philadelphia could have done, but now we have a series there out west. 
The Padres win 5-3. Jake Cronenworth finally gets out of his doldrums as he hits a big home run there late. And now let's see what's going to happen as they go down the turnpike to play at Petco Park. Not a big home field advantage by any means. And I'm sure you're going to have a lot of Dodger fans invade Petco Park over the weekend. But right now you do have a series and there is some hope down in Southern California by the border there between the U.S. and Mexico where the Padre fans are going to think that they actually have a shot and that they could go ahead and win. And just like I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, the Game 3, Game 5, if it gets that far, the odd number games are the key games. Right, we didn't see the Padres win Game 1, but now that they have the home field, they can win Game 3 and definitely put some pressure on the Dodgers. 111 wins. We talked about this on Monday's podcast where... The Dodgers were front and center, the big storyline coming into this division series because for the 111 games that they won this year, for the dominance throughout the sport, they have to go to a World Series and win. Not just get there, not just get past the division round or even a championship series, they have to win the whole thing. And right now, is it dubious? Of course not. The Dodgers could go in there and win one game and chances are they're probably going to win the next two games. So I don't think for the Dodger fan out there that they should start having beads of sweat on their brow to think that, oh, geez, now with the series going to San Diego, should we worry here? Blake Snell is going to start game three, but as we all know and what we've seen there at City Field last week, him walking the ballpark, yes, he's the type of guy where he could go five, six innings tops and can be dominant, but as long as he's able to get his stuff over the plate and not all over the place, he could be the type of pitcher that we saw against the Dodgers, Game 6, when he was in the Tampa Bay Ray uniform and got pulled, and we know that story, and not to go through that scenario again, but which Blake Snell are we going to see in order for the Padres to either go up to one in the series or them facing elimination come a Game 4? As for the American League, I'll start with the Yankees and Guardians at first. Now, this series, as I talked about on Monday... I would be very shocked if the Guardians get a game. And as you saw there, they had an opportunity where you got the home run there from the outfielder, Quan, And then they started to muster up a little bit of a rally where they had bases loaded. And it looked like they had Garrett Cole on the ropes. And I tell you, if they just would have gotten a base hit there, who knows what would have happened. Not to say that the Guardians would have won the game, but who knows what's going to happen with the psyche of Garrett Cole. Who knows what's going to happen with the psyche of the building. Because the Yankee fan as it is... Cautiously optimistic with their ace, with the guy that the organization is paying $36 million a year. And if the feathers were to be ruffled by Cole in that spot where the Guardians were to put up a crooked number, who knows how that game would have turned out. Now as it was, you can't look at the final score because let's say if they would have scored three runs and the Yankees end up scoring four, right, you could say they still would have won the game. But you never know. The offense gets a little tight. They start squeezing the bat trying to do too much. And therefore, you have a situation where the Yankees, and we've seen this, whether it's the regular season or even postseasons past, how they have not come through in the clutch or hit with runners in scoring position. And the next thing you know, they're down 1-0 in a series. As it was, the Yankees responded in the bottom of the inning, and we talk about it all the time. Whenever a team is going to score in the top part of the inning or even in the bottom, that next frame is key to shut the other team down. As it was, you had a base running blunder there with Josh Donaldson where he thought it was a home run. He got tagged out at first, which was embarrassing. And you would think that Aaron Boone is going to do something about that, which obviously he's not a guy that's going to go in the room and call out players or pull them from the lineup in the middle of a game to show them that 
This is unacceptable. You got to run out balls. You can't just pimp at home plate thinking that the ball's out of the ballpark, even with that right field at Yankee Stadium. We know Boone is not that type of manager. But then the Yankees did get the home run by Bader. And then later on, the two-run home run by Rizzo. And you could pretty much turn off your TV set because that was the game. And now the big question is, can the Guardians score more than one run in the game? We saw them score two in game one against the Rays last week. We saw them score one run in 14 innings going into the 15th against the Rays in a closeout game. And now one run here the other night against the Yankees. I understand that this team is bereft of offensive talent and we could look up and down that lineup and hopefully pick and choose. The one guy that's dangerous, as we all know, is Jose Ramirez. But there has to be some production somewhere. And it almost makes you think when you look at how the Guardians got here. And yes, they had a tremendous stretch there in September. And not that we followed each and every game. We talked about that stretch a few weeks ago where they had nine straight games in eight days against the White Sox in an afternoon game. That five-game series against the Twins. And then the White Sox in Chicago. To where I believe they won off the top of my head. Seven out of nine. And for all intents and purposes, clinched the division. But... When we look at how they performed here so far in the postseason, how do they even score runs is beyond me. And I get it. The pitching isn't going to be as good, and you're going to beat up on somebody's bullpen. But this is an offense, forget about from hunger. This is an offense that is famished. This is an offense that is anemic. This is an offense that if you're a Guardian fan, you have to think to yourself, how are we going to, forget about even manufacture a run, how are we going to get guys on base? Because when you look at all the runs that they scored, first off, they're all by the home run. And you would think that they're a team like the Yankees or the Braves when you look at the percentages of how these teams get their runs from home runs. But all four of their runs are from homers. And really, three swings is what the Guardians have done here over the course of the first, what, 33 innings of this postseason. So they're going to have to snap out of it soon. And tonight, they're going to have Nestor Cortez, weather permitting, And you know he's going to try to do his trickery on the mound. And Cortez is going to be salivating at this lineup because you know he's going to do his antics on the mound. He's going to do his impersonation of a left-handed Louis Tion where he's going to turn his back to the batter and pause and maybe do a, a leg kick and then fire the ball to try to get a strikeout. So this lineup is tailor made for him. This is a far cry from the 95 Cleveland Indian teams with Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomei, Albert Bell, going down the list. So now we're going to have to see whether or not the Guardians could muster up any offense to keep themselves at least in a discussion of these games before a first-inning rally to where Giancarlo Stanton or Gleyber Torres hits a three-run homer and you could pretty much say that the game is over. So let's see what the Guardians could do here. And hopefully they can make it a series Hopefully they can even it up 1-1 as we've seen in the National League. And we'll take it from there. And then they're the Mariners and Astros. And what we saw with the Mariners on Saturday against Toronto, it happened to them Tuesday afternoon. They jumped out to a 4-0 lead and led 7-3 going into the bottom of the 8th. And how ironic how the Mariners were down 4 runs going to the top of the 8th in Toronto. And here they are having a lead. Of the same deficit. And the Astros were able to get two runs there in the bottom of the eighth to make it 7-5. 
And then you had to have Robbie Ray come out with the lefty-on-lefty matchup against Jordan Alvarez. And what does Alvarez do? He hits one to Oklahoma. I think the ball's still going. That's how, just on a line it was. And the ballpark exploded. A tremendous comeback there by the Astros to win 8-7. And if you're Scott Service, the manager of this team, the first thing I would have said to those guys in the dugout or in the locker room afterwards is that, all right, guys, we are in this series. This is a brutal loss. We have a day off to think about it. But guess what? We come back to the ballpark on Thursday and we start anew. We did this to Toronto. Now it's happened to us. How are we going to respond from that? That should be the message. And who knows what this young team having the day off may have been a detriment as opposed to going back out there the next day knowing that you had 24 hours to sit on this and you want to get back to the ballpark. And even though with the extra day in between, and I get it, even with the extra day as you sit around and mull about it and replay it over and over in your head, those final two innings and especially that Ninth inning, it could get to any team, let alone a young team. But hopefully Service, the manager, is coming out saying to his team that, yes, we do have 48 hours that, unfortunately, we just can't get back out there on the field. But remember, we still have an opportunity to even the series. That wasn't a backbreaking series-defining loss, although it could be in the grand scheme of things. But as a manager, you can't let your team have that thought process and permeate their psyche. Because if it does, the series is going to be over. And as it is, I thought the Mariners would get one game. And they still may get a game in this series. But boy, when you actually were that close to winning a game, just like they were close to losing on Saturday against Toronto, this is a tough pill to swallow. And do they bounce back from this? I think they can. Luis Castillo is going to be the guy that will come in there to save the day, and that's why you paid him the big bucks. Granted, not bigger than a lot of other pitchers out there, as we've seen over the course of the last few years, but Castillo, I'm sure he's going to be amped up and ready to go to face that lineup, and they could draw even in the series and bring it back to the Pacific Northwest for the first time in 21 years, because of course they did not have a home game in the previous series with the wild card being in Toronto, so... I'm sure that's the focus, and then they'll have a day off after that. So if they're able to get their bearings and get a great start from Castillo and close it out with a victory, then we'll have not only two series that we're talking about in the National League, but maybe even a third because I don't know if the Guardians are going to have enough or any offense to match up with the Yankees to push that to a Game 3 where that series will be tied at 1. And before I turn my attention to football... Just some early returns on these teams having the week off before they played their first game in the postseason. You kind of saw that there a little bit with Atlanta as they were slow to get out of the gate. Even though they came back in the game and made it interesting there in the ninth inning. But maybe there was a little bit of some rust. Max Fried, who was awful. And remember, that was Tuesday. The previous game that he pitched was the Friday night against the Mets. What was that, September 30th? So he had about 12 days off between starts. So you could look at the Braves as a team that maybe having that extra layoff hurt them going into game one. 
You can even say the same for Justin Verlander, as surprisingly he got lit up early and did not pitch anything close to his eventual Cy Young award-winning caliber of 2022. So I'm sure he got the cobwebs and shook that off for his next start. If that would be in this series, it remains to be seen. But you would think the Astros getting off the mat there a little slowly was a factor with them. The Yankees, how could you tell because of the matchup with the Guardians and offensively it wasn't as if they were pressured early on to where the Guardians got out to an early lead or let's say to the extent where the pressure was on them in the later innings and then they came back to win or tie or whatever it may be. So that one you can't really see. And Garrett Cole pitched good, but again, look who he's pitching to. And then the Dodgers obviously came out of the gate roaring, so it doesn't really apply to them. Just for future reference, just for down the road as we get to next year, you got to see a little bit of a low with some of these teams as they got ready for their first action in the postseason and just something to think about for down the road, obviously in the years to come when it comes to these teams coming off of a bye and starting off this series rather sluggish than firing out of the gate. All right, now as I put on the helmet and shoulder pads to go through the NFL Week 6 schedule as well as college football, but a couple of news and notes prior to that, and one that... I'm looking at here a story that has come down within the last few minutes that there have been quote-unquote sources. Daniel Snyder, the Washington football team owner, claims that he's found dirt, quote-unquote, on other NFL owners and Roger Goodell. And based on this report, shows that Daniel Snyder had instructed his law firms And I don't know if this was something he was trying to get back at maybe some other owners in the league, but he had hired private investigators to look into owners' actions, league executives, and try to almost, I don't want to say, shoot a cannon across the bow. And of course, his attorneys have come out and vehemently denied that they are false, all these allegations. So for Schneider... And everything that's happened with this organization going back over a decade. And even recently, and I talked about this on the podcast four or five weeks ago, to where we were talking about owners in sports, in particular Robert Sarver, and how he got suspended for that one year, and how the league should probably maybe not go to the extent a la Donald Sterling with the Clippers back eight years ago, but maybe there would have been a groundswell. And as we saw that with some of the players in the league, i.e. LeBron James, Chris Paul, to where Robert Sarver is now going to sell the Suns. And I thought to myself at that time, what the hell's going on with Daniel Snyder and the latest with everything that's happened down in the nation's capital surrounding him and his team, etc. And now he's going to come out, whether false or not, and we'll have to wait and see how this unfolds. But if any of this is true, that he's hired private investigators or... Maybe had some minions go to see if he could poke around to get some stories about other owners in the league. If this doesn't upset not only the commissioner, but also some of the owners to where they have to huddle around to say, we got to get this guy out. Then you just know that the NFL owners are clueless, especially when it comes to this guy. Because we've seen whether it's Jerry Richardson on the hush hush where he had to leave, where we had David Tepper take over and is now the owner of the Carolina Panthers. So for 
the rest of the old boys club, they got to pay attention here. Or they need a clue. And I understand that this exclusive club, unlike any of the other sports it seems, even though a lot of these franchises are worth well over a billion dollars, but because it's the NFL, because it's bulletproof, the shield, the content, the gambling, fantasy, everything that encompasses this sport, once you're in that club, it's almost as if you're untouchable. And this right here goes to show that the owners, at least for right this second, looks like they may not do anything to try to get this guy ousted. And I understand you can't just kick him out, but there could be enough power and enough of these owners to rally around to say, this guy is not good for our sport. This guy hasn't been good for his own franchise and his own town with everything that has cropped up here over the last decade plus that you would think that there would be some sort of rally privately amongst the owners to start making moves to see what they could do to get Snyder out of Washington. And I'll just leave it at that. And hopefully this happens sooner than later because how much longer is this going to go with this guy? He has more than nine lives. And I'm sure fans like myself and a lot of people just want this guy to go away and hide somewhere. Why can't the owners do the same? And while we're at it, Matt Rule, speaking of Carolina, ousted as coach. Steve Wilkes, the former Arizona Cardinal coach who was there for one year before he got jettisoned. He's the interim. And Rule, what could you say? Certainly did not pan out. Not all his fault because he didn't have a quarterback, as evidence is what you saw here, thinking that maybe they could get a shot in the arm with Baker Mayfield, and we know how that's turned out. And Sam Darnold, he's on the mend. And P.J. Walker, a guy that was going back to his days with Matt Rule, in college and as a guy that was in the XFL a couple of years ago. So it was a recipe for disaster for now the coach who is going to get paid $40 million the rest of his contract. So it's not as if he's out in skid row by any stretch, but now with rule out and as we get to some of the other news and notes of the past few days, as we've seen here going back to Sunday with Tom Brady getting sacked by Grady Jarrett, and how that roughing the passer was just unfathomable. And then we saw that there Monday night between the Raiders and Chiefs where Chris Jones, the defensive lineman of the Chiefs, sacks Derek Carr. And granted, I understand he's a 300-pound lineman, and it's going to look like in fast time or real time that he's putting all this pressure on the quarterback. But come on now. That wasn't a Tony Siragusa, may he rest in peace, to Rich Gannon in the AFC Championship game going back to the 2000 season. It's nothing like that. And you know when something's egregious or something that's above the line where I get it that the referees are trying to proceed with caution. They're going to look at something that may not be as egregious, but just for the sake of the safety and not try to be favorable as far as calling one team to the next. But now it's gotten to a point where they're going to have to look at this. They're going to wait till the offseason to review all these roughing the passer penalties. And how I look at it is, is that what's going to happen in a playoff game when somebody gets breathed on or let's say just gets bumped by accident, falls to the ground, and a flag gets thrown out. If we could do the concussion protocol and even going back years ago when James Harrison hit Muhammad Masakwai over the middle 
when they change that rule to make sure that players aren't going to headhunt defenseless receivers, running backs, etc., why can't they do this with roughing the passer? Because this is a call that could actually turn the fortunes of a team, especially in a playoff game, or maybe even down the stretch, where a team is trying to get into the playoffs, to where they get a flag thrown against them, and the next thing you know, they end up losing the game, and then they're either out of the postseason, or they're in the playoffs, and this call is just a death knell for this team trying to advance or to win a playoff game to get to the next round. I understand they're not going to just come up with something and then here. Tomorrow, here's a press release to say that this is what we've done to change the rules. No, we can do this on the fly, can't we? Why does it have to wait till the offseason? That's my point. And you can say goodbye to the Raiders. Just a brutal loss there where they had a 17-0 lead. And you know, even a 17-0 lead at Arrowhead is not safe. The Chiefs came roaring back. And you had those two-point conversions, which now, for whatever the reason, it's almost as if analytics are starting to bleed into football a lot more in the last couple of years than it has ever, to where the Chiefs, when they took the lead, and it was 30-23, to and for whatever the reason, why did Andy Reid go for two? What, what was it, about seven and a half minutes to go off the top of my head? Why did he go for two there to make it 32-23? I guess he wanted a nine-point lead so he could have a two-score lead over the... Raiders, didn't make any sense. Kick the extra point. You still have to give up a touchdown and a two-point conversion. And if they get it, fine, they earn it. Why get cute there to where all they needed to do was score a touchdown and then kick the extra point to tie the game? But no, as it was, the Raiders did go down the field. They did score a touchdown. So it's 30-29. to So what did they do? They went for two. Now, again, they probably looked at it as we're going for the win. If it was a scenario where it was 20 seconds left in the game or you knew that there was going to be no time on the clock for Patrick Mahomes and as it was, it didn't matter because they did go for two and they missed it. But why even think about going for a win there? Because how I look at it is is that even if they got the two-point conversion 31-30, there's four minutes left in the game. You mean to tell me that Patrick Mahomes probably blindfolded and throwing with his left arm that he'd be able to march down the field and get themselves in field goal range for Harrison Bucker to kick a game-winning field goal. Doesn't make any sense. And then you had Devontae Adams afterwards push that camera guy, the cameraman, to the point where he's pressed charges, there's an assault charge. I'm sure, even with the court date, I believe November 10th, chances are he's probably not going to have to do that. He's not going to face any time. He may face a fine. I'm sure he's going to get fined by the league. And on top of that, who knows? Maybe you have to pay some medical bills along the process considering this guy, we don't know what type of health insurance he has. He is a member of, I would think, the NFL. They probably pay their photographers. Who knows? Or maybe it's a team photographer. I don't know. But at the end of the day, it was terrible for Devontae Adams. And I get it that the guy was in his way. He's going to the locker room. Did he have to literally shove the guy to the ground? I mean, he could have maybe just put his hand on him and just like, Moved him to say, hey, guy, I'm trying to get into the locker room here. I understand the frustration. He spiked his helmet there just a few minutes earlier. But come on. That was just a bad move on his part. But again, I don't think anything's going to come out of it as far as from a criminal standpoint. And as you take a look at the week six schedule, you have a barn burner tonight in the Windy City where the commanders play against the Bears. And how bad was that game last Thursday night between Indianapolis and Denver. Not that I'm going to go into that right now, but if that game is an indication of what lies ahead for this game, oh, 
I'm sure the rating is going to be very small. In fact, watch the Yankees and you only hope that the Guardians are going to be involved to the point where you could watch and it's not 5 nothing, top of the third. So you got that to kick us off for week six. The big game this week, obviously, is Buffalo and Kansas City. No, it's not a Sunday night game. It's your 425 CBS game. We know what's happened with the Bills the last two years in that building, especially last year when they took the lead, 13 seconds left. Why do they kick it into the end zone is beyond me. We could go through that a thousand times. But this is, me, a bigger game for Buffalo than it is for Kansas City because Kansas City has beaten Buffalo, as we've seen. And the Bills, who in the last couple of weeks, I get it, Pittsburgh, you can look at that game. They blew them out, no problem. But with what happened in Miami and even the Raven game, they were not at their best. And now they have to go back to that hostile environment. And I'm sure they're going to want to show and prove to the world that they could play with the Chiefs. And not only that, we know we can play with them, but even more so beat them. And it doesn't matter if they beat them by one point or 30 points. But they have to go in there to win this game for this one simple reason. Do they want to go back there at the end of January for a potential third elimination game? I'm sure they want to have that game in their building. So from a tie-breaking perspective, this is why they need the game. To me, it's a coin flip. I'm sure Buffalo is going to be ready to go, just like Kansas City is, obviously. But again, this means so much more to Buffalo. And it's going to be interesting to dissect this game come Monday from all different angles. Now, even if Kansas City, let's say, for instance, if they do lose, let's say, a 30-17 to game to where it was 30-10, to Kansas City gets a late touchdown to make it 30-17 to look a little bit better cosmetically as far as the final score goes. But it was pure Buffalo dominance. Then we could say, ooh, Something to keep an eye on as we get deeper into the season and especially into January. But if it's a close game, if it's back and forth, if it's anything close to what we saw in the playoff game of Buffalo wins, then you're just going to come away with it as this is going to be a shootout at the OK Corral, you would think, for another go-around if these two teams match up in a championship game or even a divisional round setting. So we'll see how that plays out. Your Sunday night game, fascinating to say the least, with Dallas and Philadelphia. Dallas, as we all know, 4-1, four, four straight wins under Cooper Rush. Dak Prescott has been throwing this week. If I'm the Cowboys, there's no need to rush him back. None whatsoever. Cooper Rush has done the job. Let him play another week. Why rush Dak Prescott back? Again, it's about the big picture. This isn't week 15 where you need this game in the worst way. Yes, it would suck if you're a Cowboy fan if they lose because that means you'll be a game and a half behind in the division. Really, in essence, two and a half because they'll be 6-0, and the Eagles, and the Cowboys will be 4-2. and So, obviously, you want to keep pace with them, but it's all about the macro, not the micro. So, let's see what's going to happen here as Dallas's defense will go up against Jalen Hurts and what they've been able to do here in this early part of the NFL season. Other than that, You have a couple of other interesting games. Ravens playing the Giants. Let's see what Lamar Jackson and company is going to do against his former defensive coordinator and a one-wink Martindale. So I think that's an intriguing matchup. You also have the Jets and Packers. Who would have thought that that could be a game that people could keep their attention on where the Jets are now 3-2. and Yes, I get it that they beat up on Miami last week and then Pittsburgh the week before. And with the Packers coming out of that loss in London against the Giants... You would think that they're going to be chomping at the bit to get back on the field. But this is a game where, who knows? The Packers, obviously the week before, did not play well. 
And the game against the Patriots, well, at least the Patriots hung tight. Not to say they didn't play well, but it was a game that was a little bit too close for comfort if you're a Packer fan. But that's a game that we could also look at and see. Other than that, Minnesota-Miami's not going to get the juices flowing. Cincinnati, New Orleans, Tampa at Pittsburgh, Carolina at the Rams. Your Monday night game is Denver at the Chargers, San Francisco, Atlanta, New England, Cleveland. The good thing is you have a good 1 o'clock game, Baltimore and the Giants. You also have an excellent 425 game, one of those marquee matchups that any football fan will look forward to. An excellent Sunday night game. And your Monday night game, please. I'm not going to get crazy about Broncos Chargers. And you want to sprinkle in a little Jets Green Bay, San Francisco Atlanta, New England at Cleveland, Jacksonville at Indy. Uh, Listen, it's slim pickings. Let's call it as we see it. Arizona, Seattle. But at least you have a handful of games that we could look at and say, all right, let's see what's going to happen here. And with that, this is your first week of buys to where you have the Lions, Titans, Raiders, and Texans all with a buy this week. So we're going to have probably the next, I would think, six, seven weeks, maybe even eight weeks now that I think about it, you would think of teams that will have buys and once we get to late November into early December, a lot of these teams will be off and then we'll have a full schedule come in the final month of the season. As for college football, a very intriguing week to say the least because of the two matchups that we have, which could be a difference maker when we look at the big picture, the college football playoff, and the first one off the bat that I'll get to is Penn State-Michigan, only because they're the 12 o'clock game. That's the one game that we'll zero in on here where Michigan will host Penn State. Penn State ranked 10th in the nation. We know about Michigan and what they've done here so far in this early part of the season. Now, if Penn State were to win this game, you know Michigan is going to take a few steps back as far as the rankings go. So the Nittany Lion fan, they're going to be raring to go. But to go to Ann Arbor to play this game, do they have a shot? Of course they have a shot. But I would think Michigan, not only because they're at home, but because they played so well. And even last year, I think about the game at Penn State where it was hanging in the balance in the fourth quarter and then they pulled away late to where Michigan, at least they could look back at that game, knowing that they could get an idea of what to expect. And I understand, last year to this year, it's totally different. Two different teams, I get it. But can Penn State pull off the upset here? I don't think so. I could see Michigan winning this game. Not handily. I won't go as far as saying that. But I think they'll be in control of this game. I think Michigan will be perfectly fine and come out victorious by 3.30 Saturday afternoon. And then, speaking of 3.30, you have Alabama going to Tennessee. And as we saw last week there with Texas A&M and how they were unable to seal the deal there early and had to sweat out those final couple of seconds there against the Aggies. And now they go to Knoxville with a high-powered offense in Tennessee. And Alabama doesn't know if they're going to get Bryce Young back. If Bryce Young doesn't play, this could put a huge wrinkle into what could transpire here come Saturday afternoon. Now, that's not to say that they wouldn't be in good hands with Jalen Milrow, but obviously you want to have your Heisman Trophy winner under center there, which is going to be a hostile environment, well over 100,000 in that building, and 
you would think that this could be where the college football season turns. Because if Alabama does lose this game, not only will they drop out of the top four, but they could potentially be out of the discussion for a national title. That's only if in the SEC championship game, Georgia beats Alabama. I understand we have to look at some other moving parts here as we move along because whether it's Michigan, whether it's USC, obviously even now Tennessee, if they do happen to beat Alabama here, and a lot of people are going to look at that, if Tennessee does happen to have one loss and Alabama has two, you can't put Alabama ahead of Tennessee to get to the college football playoff. Cannot do that. So... This game, as well as Penn State-Michigan, but I have a better feel for Michigan winning that game than I have for Alabama winning at Tennessee. So, if Alabama wins this game, then forget about Tennessee and Alabama's going to be in good stead moving forward. But if they lose this game, this is where things will start to really ratchet up when it comes to other teams trying to creep in, other teams trying to move their way up the rankings and see, once we get to December with the SEC championship game, especially if Georgia doesn't lose, and we think that they probably won't lose between now and then, if they're able to knock off Alabama, then who is that next team that's going to be a part of that college football playoff discussion? So, yours truly, and I'm sure a lot of college football fans are going to keep their eyes peeled for that particular game. You have Okie State and TCU. Obviously, if Oklahoma State wins, and depending on what happens there with both of those games, Penn State, Michigan, as well as Alabama, Tennessee... They could also move up in the rankings as well. And then USC will go to Utah. And we saw Utah and what they've done here recently as they have not played well. And UCLA, that's a team that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Who does UCLA play this week? I don't know if they have a bye. I have to check that. But USC, again, Lincoln Riley, big game on the road. Can't sleep on the Utes even though they have not played well. They already have a couple of losses under their belt, but you know they're going to be up for this game. So... That's also another game we have to keep an eye out for because that also, that school, that program USC could have playoff implications down the road depending on what happens early in the day in college football. A couple of quickies before I bid adieu. The NBA season starts Tuesday, so on Monday I'll have an NBA preview. I'll go through my over-unders, who I'll choose. There have been some revised numbers when it comes to the over-under win totals. Back in the summer, the Celtics were at 54.5. Now they're 53.5. They still have the top over-under win total from Vegas. Follow that with the Bucks 52.5, Suns 52.5, Clippers even 52.5. You have a lot of those teams there that are right up there near the top. Warriors 51.5, as well as Philly, Brooklyn, both at 50.5. If you're wondering where the Lakers are, yes, they're all the way down at 45.5. At the very bottom... Of the wrong of the Spurs at 22.5. So there's just an idea of what to expect here. Knicks 38.5 for the Nick fan out there. Pelicans 44.5. And it looked like last night, Zion Williamson tweaked an ankle. So I'm sure everybody in the bayou are holding their collective breath. So hope that it's nothing serious because it seems like even if he stubs his toe, he could be out for a month. And for everything that's come out here during training camp, that Zion has looked phenomenal. He's raring to go. He could have a monster season ahead. Well, if this injury, hopefully it's minor. Hopefully he'll be able to be in a starting lineup come opening night. 
and that this isn't anything that we should be concerned about or he's going to be on the shelf for a couple of weeks to start the season because, ah, he's going to be just a walking medical chart because of everything that he's endured, even going back to college, let alone here in the pros. So I'll touch on all that come Monday. But you had the Draymond Green scenario, and I talked about this briefly last week. I didn't talk about it on the podcast Monday, but I'll touch on it just for a couple of minutes. He's not going to get suspended. Of course, the video came out, TMZ, over the weekend, where I was shocked not only how was this video released, but how did TMZ get their hands on it. That's for the Golden State Warriors to worry about, but for Draymond Green, he should have acted a lot better than what he did by just charging at Jordan Poole and delivering a right cross to his face. People are going to tell me, I get it, Jay Reels, who do you to say that? If that was you, blah, blah, blah. I understand And we know the history of Draymond Green, chip on the shoulder, second round pick, underdog mentality, the whole nine. And I get it that he was pushed, but did he have to go ahead and deliver a right cross? He couldn't just run up to him, maybe grab him by the practice jersey, push him up against the wall, or you want to tackle him to the ground? All right, out of frustration, understood. But to go at the guy and just literally slug him, and thankfully Poole's okay, I don't even know if he has a broken jaw, fractured Orbital bone, whatever. It seems as if he's okay. But this is one thing. This is the two-part thing. The first thing is how this team will respond from this. I get it. It's going to be all in the rearview mirror once they raise the banner come Tuesday night. And they get the rings, the whole nine. They did find them. They're not going to suspend them. It's a suspension-worthy offense by any means. And I don't want to hear about the ring ceremony that the reason why they didn't do that is because they want Draymond Green to be present. Come on. Can you give me a better reason than that? You could suspend him for a game or two. He's going to get his ring. And he's going to get his applause afterwards. So for him to be present there with his teammates in uniform, that's just not a good look, if you ask me. But all right. That's how it is. That's how they're going to operate. Fine. But the more important thing is that Draymond, who took a few days off, hopefully he's regrouped. I believe he apologized. But on top of all that, hopefully he'll look at this for the next time around, whether it's a teammate or even on the court with somebody else, that he just turns the other cheek and doesn't pay in any mind. And I get it, it's probably not going to happen that way. We can't look into our crystal ball to say that that's going to be the case. But you would only hope that he's learned from this that he knows that despite the fact that he was maybe challenged or provoked or what have you, that that was not the answer. He could have handled that in a much better way, shape, or fashion. As far as the NHL, you had the Rangers beat Tampa there on opening night, 3-1. to one. That was, of course, the rematch of the Eastern Conference Final last year as the Rangers prevail. And then last night, speaking of banners raised to the rafters, the Colorado Avalanche were able to raise their third banner in their franchise's history to the ball arena, to the very top where everybody got their rings. The rings, of course, they're just extravagant to say the least. But watching a video of it to where they lift up the case that the ring is enclosed in and it's replaying a video, I believe, of the ceremony to when they won the cup, a highlight clip of them winning in Tampa. I tell you, what's going to be next? Are you actually going to get a little movie theater that's going to be built into this case? Which what you saw there yesterday, if you didn't see the video. But 
The Avalanche, they get off to a 5-2 win where the Blackhawks came to town and the Blackhawks are going to be a bad team all year. So the Avalanche get off on the right foot, not only by getting their rings and raising the banner, but winning their first game as the NHL season has begun. And that'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books, number 300. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sincerely and thankfully appreciate not only your participation, not only your support, but hopefully you can pass the buck on to the sports fan in your life or somebody who'd be interested in listening to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. With that being said, if you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so at the following. The J Reels Podcast. Strictly the name of this podcast on TikTok, Instagram, the Facebook fan page on Twitter, which I'm thinking about changing it from J Reels 1, just the number, to the J Reels Podcast, so stay tuned for that. And if you want to hit me up, you could do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com via email. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, to contribute to this podcast, if you want to do so, go to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth is going 100% to this endeavor, whether it's the production of the website, upkeep, the equipment, etc., to make this experience into your earbuds or speakers that much more crystal clear because whether you do or do not know, 300 episodes in the books, I'm planning to do 300,000 more as long as the good Lord has me on his green earth. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say, pretty much since I've come out of the womb. This is what I love to discuss. This is what I love to analyze. This is what I love to critique. This is what I love to praise on anything and everything that goes on. The world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>